I never even imagined that you could run a business that loses money every month. Like that just didn't, when I realized that like, oh, everyone raises, I should probably raise. So then I went and I went and pitched all the VCs that invest in e-commerce software and they all rejected me. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm just gonna keep bootstrapping. <laughs> <laughs> like, Welcome back to Chew On This, where today we got a special guest that flew in all the way to New Jersey, solo founder in SaaS, bootstrap founder in SaaS, which you really is very rare combo, first of all. But coming in all the way from Cali is Noah Tucker, CEO, founder of Social Snowball. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so yep, like you said, I'm the founder of Social Snowball. Um, before building Social Snowball, I was on the brand side of the e-commerce world for a while. So literally right after high school, started building stores, got super into that, started getting deep into the marketing stuff. So like paid ads and eventually affiliate and ambassador program. So we could get into this more, but basically I was just kind of fed up with the existing affiliate solutions. And that's what led to Social Snowball being born. It's amazing. What were you fed up with? <laughs> <laughs> so I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> it's a good question because at the time I actually didn't, I didn't really understand what was happening. Like all I knew is like these solutions are not providing the tools that I need to successfully run an affiliate program. And like there was a lot of specific things and we could dive into, but everything was just very clunky, very manual to do any process, whether that's onboarding affiliates, whether that's, you know, bringing customers into an affiliate program, whether that's sending payouts or gifts to an affiliate, everything felt very manual and disconnected. Um, and so that's kind of like at the time I didn't really understand why. Um, but looking back, I think like there is a huge macro trend that happened in the affiliate space for e-com. And like back when those original affiliate platforms like first came out, the only affiliate that brands were partnering with is like very different than what they partner with today. So like I call these like the legacy affiliates and this is like publishers, mm -hmm. bloggers, listicles, review sites, even media buyers. Like that's what the word affiliate used to mean. And then today those are still important affiliate partnerships. But then there's also like a new type of affiliate and I call this like the modern affiliate. And this is like creators, social media influencers, ambassadors, even a brand's own customers. And what I realize now looking back is the reason that all of those platforms felt super clunky and disconnected and everything was manual is because they were all built for publishers. And it's probably a decent mm. experience for those legacy affiliates. But then when you try to onboard like a customer or a TikTok influencer into one of these platforms that was built in like 2010 for like publisher affiliates, it's just not the same user experience that you need to facilitate a successful partnership. So that's kind of like the macro trend that I've in hindsight, I could recognize. But at the time I was just like, these platforms suck and I need something better. <laughs> Fair enough. So for those who maybe are unfamiliar with what modern affiliates yeah. are, right? Give a little bit of background on just maybe the definition of what that really means. Sure. I think it's funny because there's so many different terms people use in this, you know, conversation. It's like word of mouth, there's ambassador, so affiliate, synonyms. creator, influencer, like <laughs> it's all kind of a gray area, right? But what I view a modern affiliate is basically, you know, social media influencer, content creator, that's like a, you know, social media content creator really. Um, but even like, you know, I, I would go even to like, you know, people talk about like micro influencers, right? Obviously that would fall under this umbrella. Then they talk about nano influencers, which are like, you know, maybe by def definition, like sub 10K, sub 5K following. But the way that we view affiliate is like, it could even be like the average consumer. Like if you as a customer or just like an everyday person can refer a few friends that, you know, and you could, and you could replicate that at scale for a brand that's obviously really meaningful customer acquisition. So under the umbrella of modern affiliate, I would say like on the biggest side are like proper influencers all the way down to micro nano, and then even just average consumers. Got it. So you're talking about individuals who are promoting for the brand for a set commission. I mean, yeah, that's the way the affiliate model works in case anyone right. listening doesn't know. It's like a performance only channel. You compensate an individual or entity um, for driving conversions, AKA sales and nothing else. There is no paying for anything that could be even interpreted as vanity, such as like views or impressions, clicks, like a lot of other channels as, as you know, that's how you pay. Um, this is just a performance only channel, which it makes it great. Cause it's like, you know, less risky. Right. I think one of the biggest things that we've started to realize going into 23, right. And then even now into 24 is that using affiliates or at least on the modern side, right? So getting a bunch of influencers, getting creators, getting your micro, whatever it is, is to really, at least in my opinion, is to build top of funnel awareness, brand awareness for the brand so that you can elevate with 
paid, right? I think a good amount of brands that are out there are running paid, whether it's Meta or TikTok, um, probably even just Meta, is one, you're not able to get that true brand awareness with just Meta anymore, right? It's like, it's gonna circle the same people, like it's gonna go after the low hanging fruit, um, but how do you actually introduce people into the funnel? And I think that's through influencers, right? It's through content creators, it is through your existing customers, right? And I think the 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 one way to really incentivize to some for somebody to talk about your brand is like, hey, let's give you a commission to like really, you know, incentivize you promoting about us. But I think what a lot of brands fail to do is make that incentive like very enticing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I so I even I would not disagree, but I think like more so now, influencers becoming more of a perf- like a bottom of funnel channel. It's always been an awareness channel. Um, and I think brands have like always relied on influencers for awareness and then paid for like bottom of funnel. Mm-hmm. I think like more and more often now, like, cause I mean, you're, you're mentioning the incentives, like those incentives aren't for anything besides conversions, right? Like your right. affiliates, you'd give them hundred percent commission, you give them 200% commission. It doesn't matter if they're driving a ton of uh, views and, and engagement, but not uh, conversion. So I think like the shift that we're kind of seeing happen now is influencers are still a powerful awareness channel on top of funnel, but it's becoming more of a full funnel channel as well because you could, you could if you could create you know these incentive structures and find the right affiliate partners whether that's influencers even like the legacy type of affiliate or you know customers it can be a really meaningful actual like directly attributable customer acquisition channel. Talk a little bit more about that. So you're saying like if at least again right so yeah. from my my perspective on it and I'm like fairly new to building out our program yeah. right um, listening to a bunch of like feedback from everybody in the space, even you've, you know, you've, you've been super helpful for us building out our program. My whole approach has always been like, I need to just fuel the fire, right? And just get eyeballs. But what you're saying is that you can actually utilize affiliates to drive direct conversions more on like a bottom of funnel approach. Well, that's what affiliate is, right? Because hmm. affiliate is only rewarding for conversions. So there's maybe other ways you could compensate influencers based on like how well their post performs from a views, engagement, you know, uh, clicks, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, standpoint, but affiliate, you know, almost by definition is kind of like a conversion focused bottom of funnel channel to to an extent. I mean, of course, like any content that's put out into the world, even if there's an affiliate link or code in it, like it's going to drive awareness and maybe not direct conversions and you could still convert that traffic later through paid. Mm -hmm. But the affiliate model works well when it converts from that actual like affiliates post or content piece or whatever it is. Got it. Give a live example. Yeah, right? I don't so like, I'm not understanding. A customer the... becomes an affiliate. Right. That customer is only rewarded when right. they drive a sale. Correct. So if you yeah. want them to keep posting and keep talking about you and keep making content and telling their friends, they have to be driving sales. It doesn't matter if their post got a thousand views yeah. and a ton of comments. Like, because you're kind of saying like how influencer traditionally has been more of like, top of funnel yeah. and I'm saying like with with affiliate and like more so now influencer is becoming like because if that customer doesn't drive sales they're not gonna keep posting is what I'm saying like the right. incentive structure is just arranged around bottom of funnel performance metrics like drive sales get paid and then they're gonna be incentivized to drive more sales so my definition of bottom of funnel would be like they already know about the brand people have kind of like been to the website they know what they're like ready to buy right and then like okay they saw an ad or there's an affiliate that's like bottom of funnel metrics as like clicks views or top of funnel metrics mm. purchases are yeah of that, funnel metric yeah so you're talking about more metrics not audiences yes yes, yes. yeah because the audience could be cold it could be warm yeah the affiliate model is still rewarding and working better from conversions yeah that okay got yeah, it that's yeah. that's basically what i'm saying got it got it, got it. Because, okay because you're you're also right in like yeah. the way that a lot of influ like a lot of influencer campaigns traditionally have been viewed as like awareness and top of funnel right um and like they're not even measuring conversions like it doesn't matter like that's there's right. not there's you know they're often there's not affiliate links or codes in a lot of like you know these big influencer posts but what i'm saying is like now influencer is being treated more and more as like a bottom of funnel performance channel mm-hmm. as in not that is the audience cold or warm but is as in like success is measured through sales got it yeah yeah fair okay got it so all right two different types two of different yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Got, it. got it got yeah. it fair enough so then so then when when brands are thinking about like okay i want to sign up creators who do have like a maybe a, a decent sized following and sign them up as affiliates right my purpose is like okay i want to get the views and i want to drive like traffic to the website in in the hopes that we do get 
sales and conversions, right? Are are is the is the point for affiliates to really just like maybe go after the the micro and like build out an army and like maybe even even on the customer side. So you have obviously if you're acquiring five hundred thousand customers a day, that becomes a separate army. But should that be the strategy versus like all right, let me see if I can get these like million plus people yeah. and then getting them into the affiliate program and be like, yo, I'll give you 50%, 100% commission. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different strategies that you can do, obviously, but I, I would agree with what you're saying, how like the, the smaller influencers definitely are better at driving conversions mm-hmm. um, in general. And that's like kind of no secret at this point. I think every brand is now focusing on the micro and nano influencers. Um, and what I'm saying is you could even take that a step further and really focus as well. I wouldn't say, you know, as a replacement, but as well as uh, on your customer base as a meaningful affiliate channel. I'm not talking about like a loyalty program with like points or like refer right. a friend and get a coupon. I'm right. talking about like your affiliates can be a meaningful affiliate channel. Um, you know, that's one of the multiple programs that you could be running. Maybe you do have a larger creator program and a micro influencer program and a customer program. So if brands were to like, all right, they don't have a, an affiliate program at all right now, right? What would be like the lowest hanging fruit to really start focusing on today? Great question. I think the lowest hanging fruit, just because it's so easy to set up, is a program turning your customers into affiliates. Mm-hmm. This is something we help brands with a lot just because it can be not nothing is ever set it and forget it, right? But it could be mostly automated. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we view the, the like the way that we help brands facilitate this is basically, you know, we want to c- eliminate as much friction as possible from that customer to a f- affiliate journey. Um, so like with a traditional affiliate platform, we were talking about like the legacy affiliate platforms. If a customer wanted to join an, aff- an affiliate program after they made a purchase, let's say they'd have to navigate back to the storefront, click on a sign up link in the footer navigation, get taken to a third party URL, fill out like this giant application form that can't even, that's not even like with the brand's colors or logos, <laughs> submit it. And then someone on the brand would have to go approve that application. And then they would be welcome to the program, which is like a ridiculous journey to expect a customer to go through that just went like through the most beautiful, like checkout funnel that you mm-hmm. guys spent like years perfecting. Um, so essentially like what we help brands do is just turn customers into affiliates automatically. Um, and we can do that at the point of a purchase. So whenever a new customer is pla- uh, placing an order on a brand store, before they even make it to the order confirmation page, we could take their order data from Shopify checkout and use that to automatically generate them an affiliate account, automatically generate them a custom tracking link or a discount code with their name in it, and then give all of that information to them natively on the thank you page as soon as they complete the purchase. So without any pop-up or click here to get your code or fill out this form or any extra steps, all their affiliate info is instantly generated in real time, put right on the thank you page, and then they could start sharing right away. And then of course, we could integrate with the brand's ESP to send additional follow-up touch points in the post-purchase journey, reminding them, here's your code, you know, here's other affiliates that have earned a lot, here's content you can share, et cetera, et cetera. But it's basically like throwing a net over your entire audience, bringing everyone into the program rather than it being something that they have to go out of their way to apply for. And as you can imagine, the result is just a much higher customer to affiliate activation rate. and that could be really meaningful customer acquisition. Question around like the experience post-purchase for customers, right? How should brands be thinking about, one, if somebody just came in through the brand, they bought for the first time, and now you're kind of like, hey, like, you know, you can earn commission through selling. What's a good balance of, all right, treating them as an affiliate, but then also giving them the content and the education around the brand and like, making them feel like a customer too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you shouldn't spam it too hard, obviously. Like if you are just like, refer a sales, refer a sales, refer a sales, like it's (laughs) gonna come across as spammy. I think it heavily relies on the messaging that you use. So I wouldn't say, I I would definitely say with confidence and data to back it that having a touch point immediately after a customer purchases is a great uh, opportunity to ask them to share because they just have that dopamine rush after you make a purchase Mm -hmm. and they do share it, so it works. Um, I would say though, the messaging that you use there matters a lot. Mm. And this is not something I could get too specific on because it is very unique for each brand's voice. Um, you want the the messaging of your you know post-purchase customer affiliate program to be very aligned with the rest of your customer facing communication. Who's really like leveraged their customer base for affiliates? Good question. Um, there's this one company called um, The Pod Company. They sell uh, ice baths and they crush it with ice baths. They've done so well with their customer affiliate program for a lot of reasons. Um, one, of course, they have that whole post-purchase funnel just built out beautifully. They have the thank you page feature, like a huge uh, post-purchase flow in their uh, email service provider that's just like explaining how the program works, sending inspirational content of other affiliates that have earned a lot, um, sending educational content on what is affiliate marketing and how does it work and mm-hmm. giving them examples of content they could share that have performed well. Um, that stuff goes a long way. They've taken it a couple steps further though as well. They also invite everyone who's in their affiliate program, which is 
or no, everyone who's gotten at least one referral sale per month into a giveaway where they give you a free ice bath or sauna or something. So once a month, they give away a free one for everyone who's generated at least one referral that month. So that definitely gets people excited. That's a really and good every idea. month they could be re-entered. And then what I think is even cooler is they equip their customer service team to turn every customer conversation into a referral opportunity. So what's so powerful about when you turn every customer into an affiliate is they already have their code and link. Mm -hmm. So let's say a customer writes in, even if it's a negative conversation at first to customer service, hey, you know, where's my order, whatever the, the problem is, and the customer service agent helps them out. That is the perfect touch point from with your brand to the customer to be like, hey, by the way, here's your referral code. You'll earn, you know, twenty dollars every time someone buys with your code. And so uh, the the customer service remind, team, direct reminder, exactly. The customer service team is plugging this tens, if not hundreds, of times a day, mm -hmm. and they're driving. I think, like, I don't I don't remember exactly, but a serious percentage of GMV is coming just from customer referrals. Wow. That's really, that's actually really, really smart. I know. We're not doing any of this. Yeah. We'll get you set up. <laughs> we we'll get you set up. We, we should listen to this episode afterwards. <laughs> yeah. um, on the, on that note of like what other brands are doing, um, I think what's, what would be interesting is like there, there are certain categories and, and even deeper like products that are super commoditized, right? So like you take our category for a second, collagen yeah. or supplements in general sure. right it's 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 it is a commodity in a way right um obviously what separates you is is, a, is your brand or what makes your product different etc but you fall into let's say hey you know a customer is really probably only going to push one supplement company are there certain things that like certain offers you've seen that are at least more attractive to customers than others um um or or certain ways and you know you talked about messaging for a bit but outside of messaging, it's also the offer, right? Totally. It's like, it, you know, you, you've seen the worlds of 10 and 15%, um, you know, back and maybe that's still, cause you, you know, the data from a, from a bird's eye view, um, maybe that still is like the lead best general offer, but are there certain creative offers you've seen that have like stuck out or something that um, maybe is moving the needle differently than the typical 10, 15% referral fee? Totally. So I think, you know, what you already mentioned is like, just having a higher initial commission structure it does go a long way. Yeah. It definitely does. I mean, people are obviously money driven. It's affiliate model. It's affiliate have you marketing. seen some crazy ones like 50%, yeah. 40%? Yeah, 60. we have. We have. Yeah. I mean, I think a brand needs to look at like, you know, what they're paying on Facebook to acquire a customer and try to copy that. That's what Ash um, does, yeah. Yeah, because, and, and obviously, you know, if, if you're unprofitably acquiring those customers, you could scale it back a little bit. But, you know, that's like a baseline to kind of be like, what commission should I be offering? Well, what are you already paying to acquire a customer? Mm. But you know, to take it a step further, we have brands that, and this is something that I think a lot, every brand should do, whether it's a, you know, influencer program or a customer program is create reward tiers yep. and tie them to performance milestones. So what I mean by that is your commission right now is, let's say you enter the program at a low commission, 10%, 15%. Your commission is that now, but as soon as you refer three sales, it bumps to 25. As soon as you refer 10 sales, it bumps to 30 and we'll send you this free gift you could choose from these 10 products. When you refer, you know, 50, 100 sales, you could create these different tiers and tie them to performance milestones based on how many sales someone's referred, how much revenue they've referred. And, and then that can could, all be automated. Yeah, with system. Social Snowball, yeah, 100%. Wow. Um, it could be, you know, tied to gifts. It could be tied to a higher commission structure. It could be the difference between a link for tracking sales and a static code. Mm -hmm. Some brands are very exclusive with giving out static codes for, you know, a lot of reasons we could get into like codes leaking and stuff. But, you know, if you want, if you want to like have your customers, if, if that's something that's incentivizing your customers, like, oh my God, if I refer a hundred sales, then I'll get my own static code. Like that you could use, you could use anything as, you know, a, uh, yeah. uh, reward if you know if it's gonna drive sales yeah that makes sense yeah i i mean to your point right it's like see what you're doing on meta and like trying to replicate that here even like on meta at least like the category that we're in and maybe even similar brands near us like the break-even point for brands is like if if you can get it to like where we're at which is like a 1.5 right let's say if if if, if i'm saying like i'm giving you 50 percent commission that's like a two X return on meta, right. right? Obviously like a two X being 50%. And like, I don't think brands think that way, right? It's like, oh, 50% commission is so much. It's like, right. well, how much are you paying Zuck, exactly. right? Like it doesn't make sense. Exactly. And you'd, you'd rather pay your community member or customer or yeah. creator that money than Zuck, you yeah. know? All exactly. Day, so. And you're probably more profitable on it 
that like you're probably more profitable at a 2x than hmm. a 1.5 or a, yeah. a 1.1 whatever you're getting on meta yeah. you know i know we talked about customers right so what are your thoughts on where brands should be like kind of bringing in creators right totally. micro like mid-size like what like I, for me i've tried to do it across the board for everything haven't really nailed it yet so i'm curious yeah well what's what's really interesting to see is like sometimes even creators like we just kind of define a creator as an individual with the capacity to create content like yeah. i think following almost becomes following almost becomes commodity like it's less relevant because with TikTok, you know or really any of these short form platforms with you know the for you page like anything can get eyeballs regardless of how many followers someone has so a strategy that we've been seeing brands uh, implement recently is they basically let's say hire let's say 50 creators it doesn't matter if those creators have followings. That's actually completely irrelevant. Each creator will make their own TikTok page and Instagram and YouTube page for shorts and reels. Um, and they'll post on this brand new page. So let's say you, you guys were doing this at Obvi, which I think you should. Um, every creator would make a new page. One would be like my.obvi. One would be like my double underscore Obvi. One would be my Obvi underscore. Like everyone would just yeah. make their own branded page. And then they would create content and post it on those pages. So every creator starts at zero and every creator is posting multiple times a day on TikTok, shorts, and reels. Um, you guys are providing them with assets of other content that's performed well. Maybe they want to chop that up and incorporate in that content, or maybe they're making new content from scratch. Mm. Regardless, when you have 50 creators that are posting three times a day on three platforms a day, and these creators know how to create content. Obviously, if you're just putting random people yeah. like... These creators need to know how to create good content, which is, you know, a, a somewhat difficult skill to find, but there's a lot of people out there, especially now. Stuff will simply go viral. When you do mm -hmm. it at that scale, stuff mm -hmm. will go viral. 50 creators a day, let's say, three posts each on three platforms. They would just repurpose the same posts on all three platforms, but I mean, they don't have to make unique ones. Stuff simply will go viral. And when it goes viral, and then of course you're giving them all an affiliate link and code so they could put a code maybe in the piece of content or they could put a link in the bio or both. You could, you know, get you know, however you want to structure that content will go viral. It just always does. Um, and then once you start to have more and more content going viral, not only is that driving sales, but then you could kind of use that to teach the other creators in this program. Like this is the type of content that works well, use this as inspiration and make, you know, similar mm -hmm. styles of content. Um, and then eventually like brands scale this up with more and more creators. And I've seen brands with multiple hundreds, I want to say thousands, but at least multiple hundreds of creators that are all making these standalone pages, all posting multiple times a day, all having their affiliate links and codes. The creators are motivated because when their content goes viral, they make a ton in affiliate commissions, like just like that, because you know how TikTok is, like it just goes crazy mm -hmm. and then it you know dies down and they just make a ton of money overnight in affiliate commissions. So they have something to look forward to. Um, and yeah, so that that's like an example of how, you know, of not only strategy that's been killing it, but just how the amount of followers that the creator have, like, almost doesn't matter at all anymore. Right. Because if you start 50 pages Good from point. zero, which is actually something that people are doing intentionally, not just like they're forced to start 50 pages from zero, that's a strategy they are choosing to implement because it's been working so well right now. It actually performs better sometimes than influencers who have been spending years amassing a following. Like one nuance there, which is like, because I've seen the strategy around, right? Is when you do start from zero, the, the whole like link in bio, right? If you can't, I, I don't think you can put anything until like a thousand followers, right? Yeah, some, something, like, something that. like that, right? So like, I, I know brands are doing this, but that's the part that like doesn't make sense to me, which is like, you can't even, you can't even like get the, the link in the bio for them like to click on, right? So it's like, how do you even like go, like, is there a way around that? Like, do you almost have to, it kind of, you have to just have creators build the page up and then that's when they kind of reap the rewards? I would say no, I would say use a code. I would yeah. say in the actual video or in the caption of the video, use code this at checkout. Um, that could be your attribution system in the beginning. And when the creator grows, maybe then you could give them a link or a safe mm. link or whatever. Got yeah. it. Chew on this is sponsored by one crucial strategy that we just can't ignore as D2C brands, and that's email and SMS. We'll be sending a ton, and guess who's our go to? We use Sendlane. It's not just another tool, it's a revolution. With real time segmentation, you're reaching users with precision when you hit send on that email or SMS. The reporting UI, you may ask, it's a breath of fresh air. Simple, straightforward, and gets right to the point. No more sitting through confusing data and random charts you have no idea about what it's saying. And here's the crown jewel, their customer support. Round the clock, weekends, holidays, 24-7, 365, always open like 7-Eleven. No exceptions, they've got your back always. 
you want to elevate your email and SMS game and you're tired of what everyone in the industry is used to using, check out Sendlane and see why Sendlane is the name that's buzzing in everyone's ears. Dive in and you'll thank us later. Now, let's get back to the episode. So I think I um, want to ask a few kind of questions which have always been on my mind because um, we're always revolved and surrounded by a lot of SaaS companies and builders and founders. Um, and I think a lot of them are impressive. I think anyone building in SaaS is very impressive because of um, just the amount of just building you have to do plus marketing is like almost equivalent. You know, it's not like with CPG, you can have a great product and then just get into a bunch of hands and, you know, maybe one part gets easier. So I, I think in, 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 um, SAS, you kind of have to have a very equal approach to both. But, um, I think the part that's super impressive is, um, you've bootstrapped your way which is rare. It's just purely rare. And whether or not you raise capital moving forward, uh, doesn't matter because you've gotten really far with the way you've taken. So maybe just on the builder's approach from how you started and where, you are, where you've gotten, what have been some key reasons you've been able to do that? Because um, it's not like you've created like some easy tool. You've also created a really cool platform. Um, you're rolling out 2.0, right? Can we talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. And it's like, how are you doing this and solo founder and still everywhere all the time, <laughs> all over Twitter? Like you're, I don't know if there's multiple versions of you, um, <laughs> but how are you doing it all? Yeah. I mean, to touch on the bootstrapping part, honestly, like it's all, like, I think my brain coming from a br like the brand side background, it just doesn't know any different to, than to focus on making money. Like, I just like, I never even imagined that you could run a business that loses money every month. Like that just didn't, that wasn't in my realm of reality when I started Social Snowball. My brain, since I started in e-commerce was just wired towards like, you build a business and then it has to make money and then you could spend that money on growing the business and then you keep doing that. Like that's just right. what my brain is wired like. So, you know, when I realized that like, oh, everyone raises, like if yeah. we were already at like, I don't know, like 10, 20K MRR and I was like, oh, everyone raises. And I was like, I should probably raise. And this is like, you know, a couple of years ago. So then I went and I went and pitched all the VCs that invest in e-commerce software and they all rejected me. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm just gonna keep bootstrapping <laughs> that. Like legitimately, like fully transparent. Why they reject you? Too small? No, not even because everyone else that raised, like I'm like, we were at that time, I mean like 10, 20 KMRR, we were really small, but like we were bigger than a lot of the SaaS companies that you've seen all over Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not even joking because I believe it. like they just don't focus on making money, which is, you know, a whole nother conversation. But essentially, like I was just like, you know, OK, like that's how my brain was wired. Then I tried to raise money. I think the reason they said no was just because like I didn't know how to talk to investors genuinely. Like I would get on the phone with the VCs and I wouldn't lie to them. Yeah. I would just be like, yeah, this is what we're building. This is how far we've gotten. Like, this is what I'm working on. And they'd be like, oh, so like, what's the big picture? And I was like, that's it. Like, that's <laughs> that's exactly what we're building. It's a great product. Everyone loves it. And like, okay. And it wasn't like Adam Newman changed the world. Enough yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think I legitimately think that's why. And I've talked with, I mean, I have so many friends in the space, SaaS founders in the e-com space that are VC backed. And I've talked to them about it. And they're like, yeah, like you have no idea how to talk to investors. Cause like, we'll do like, pra I'll practice with them. And they're like, don't even bother. Like, yeah. just keep doing what you're doing. Like, that's awesome. My brain is just very focused on product and customers and getting the word out. And like, I feel like instead of trying to like fight that and spend all of my time building pitch decks, learning how to talk to VCs, then once I successfully raise, I have to deal with those VCs mm -hmm. and then they're telling me what to do. And like, if my brain, if some people are born with that gift and if yeah, that's I like, agree. you know, if that's what you should do, like go and like, you know, don't like, cause for me, that would be like fighting. That'd be fighting against what I'm naturally good at. And like, I might as well, since I already have traction doing what like feels right, I might as well just like keep right. going with that. 100%. Yeah. I, I think it's, 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 uh, it's super important, especially like, uh, in, in today's ecosystem where it feels like to do something you have to raise. Um, and, and I think you, you find a few diamond in the rust where it's like, wait, no, that's not entirely true. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to know from like zero to one, like was your first hire a developer? Did you like just creation from product? Like were there some mistakes oh there? My God. Dude, the stories you wouldn't believe. Maybe we can get into a few of them here. But going into Social Snowball, I had no idea what I was doing at all, like zero. And so like, I was like, okay, I want to build a software. Where do you look when you need code written? Upwork. So like, no way. I, I was like looking at Upwork and then I finally stumbled up across this agency 
that told me they were gonna do like a done for you package where it's, they'll build the whole app, they'll do the UI, the UX design, they'll even do the website and get it ready for the Shopify app store, like everything you need. For a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, for not a thousand, but red flag levels of cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And I was like, oh, perfect. Like that's amazing, like that's godsend. So I obviously went forward with that. They promised me they would have Oh, an MVP, like a working minimum viable product that would be ready for the Shopify app store in three months. I had a very simple, you know, Google Word doc literally that just like told them everything I want the app to do. That's like literally the extent of like how I knew how to build software. Three months went by and they're like, oh, coming soon, coming soon, six months. It took 15 months before I ended the contract early with them because we still didn't have a working MVP. And I was like, enough is enough. These guys clearly don't know what they're doing. Oh my God. I need to find someone else. I'm 15 months deep into this. I've already spent what I spent to get them to build. They were pretty close. I'll give them that. Like the app was almost there, but there were so many bugs. Like I was like, I just, they weren't fixing them. I couldn't wait anymore. I was like dying to bring this to market. So then I hired another, um, oh no, then I actually from Upwork, Hired, I got lucky and I found like a really good engineer. Just luck, like literally, like I talked to 10 and I picked one randomly basically. Like, yeah. This guy just happened to be really good. He was like ex Yahoo. I was like, okay, he probably knows what he's talking about. This guy got me from like that, like super, super buggy app to a fully functioning, submitted and approved in the Shopify app store MVP in two weeks. Wow. Like, and then that that's kind of the first inkling of my mind of like, okay, there is a difference between like different developers. A good dev versus a bad dev actually means a lot. Right. And I still at the time didn't understand like further implications of what a good dev versus a bad dev meant but I kind of got it just for it. The next two years consisted of me hiring and firing in the 15 to 20 freelancers that Jeez. all just weren't good. Um, <laughs> and I mean, this is two years of like, kind of not only like not getting out new features as fast as we needed to, but like creating outrageous amounts of technical debt because we have 15 people or 20 people, like literally in that range with 15 or 20 different coding styles, not writing any documentation, <laughs> It was just a disaster, like a complete disaster. I hired, fired, hired, fired, hired, fired, so many people. Um, eventually I found someone who seemed to be good and he was building a lot and he told me like, you know, six months in, he's like, I wanna be your CTO. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I've always wanted. Like I need a CTO. Like I don't have a technical co-founder, it's too late for that at this point, but like a CTO would be amazing. And so he was based in Romania, really smart dude. And he was like, okay, cool. Like I'm down to take a 50% pay cut I just want 10% of the company. And I was like, oof, 10% is a lot, but like, you know what? I need a CTO this, this bad, like I'm down for it. But I told him, let's sign the papers in person. I was already planning a trip to Barcelona with my girlfriend and some friends for New Year's. Um, this is like two, two years ago, maybe. And I was like, we'll fly to Bucharest after and let's sign the papers in person. So that's what we did. We went to Barcelona, then we went to Bucharest. Never seen, you know, Romania before, but it, yeah, Bucharest was okay. But then we went to Cluj-Napoca, which is, you know, really, really cool city in Romania. I, I got to see things I would have never seen before. Met this dude, signed papers, popped a bottle of champagne, and then I flew back to LA. I was like, okay, great. One week later, this guy just doesn't show <laughs> up. I knew there had to be something here. <laughs> <laughs> one week later, he just doesn't show up for work one day, like online, he just disappears. And I was like, okay, that's weird. I was like, hey, is everything okay? Like, where were you today? And he's like, hey, yeah, sorry about that. Everything's okay. Um, I just need to talk to you about something whenever you have a chance. And I was like, how about right now? And so we, yeah. hop, we hop on the uh, you know Google Meet or whatever. And he's like, yeah, so I never told you this, but I've actually been applying to become a priest and I just got accepted. And now I have to go live in a monastery for the next six months and I could only work part-time. I hope that's okay, right? And I was like, no, actually, that's, that's probably the least okay thing you yeah. could have ever brought to the table right now. I just gave you 10% of my company. I've been building this like for two years now. You just like, I just flew to Romania. Like we signed papers. Like I thought you were all in like late nights with me, like really grinding. Like that's what I needed. I needed a CTO to like stay up all night and really Correct. grind with me. Yeah. Like, you know, like do what a CTO does. And now you're gonna work four hours a day from a monastery, like with your, like sneaking your laptop when no one's looking. Like that is like the least okay thing you could have brought to me. But I didn't tell him that actually. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I told him, <laughs> I told him like, no worries, no worries. Like I'm sure we'll make it work. But then I started aggressively searching for new engineers. <laughs> And his equity had invested yet. Thank hadn't started investing yet. We God. had like another month. So that next month, I was just frantically, frantically searching for a new engineer everywhere. Job postings, friends, favors, like reaching out to old freelancers. No, I couldn't find one that like was good because I kind of knew what a good engineer looked like at that point. I really couldn't find anyone that was good and that I could afford. Um, and so then the day before his equity vested, I sent him the notice. I was like, we're terminating. <laughs> um, he didn't get a, you know, a single point of equity and 
you know, we, we went our separate ways. And then I just had zero engineers working for Social Snowball. <laughs> oh my God. I had a, 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 I had a software company with, you know, tens of, multiple tens of thousands of MRR. I don't know exactly where we were at this point. Um, tons of customers and zero engineers. <laughs> Every day something new would break. And I had one customer service guy, still with me today, dude's an absolute beast. Um, who was just like keeping them calm. Like that was the entire team, me and that one person. Be calm. <laughs> and every day we had new bugs coming up. The app wouldn't work for this one merchant. We had integration partners, big names, PostScript actually, <laughs> messaging us saying, hey, your API is like shooting us like a thousand calls per minute. We're gonna have to shut the integration down. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? When was this? Is this like 2022? Um, this was like two two years ago. Two years ago, okay. <laughs> And I, this was just like a nightmare of a time for me. And I was like, if I can make it through this, like we could do anything. So eventually I was just like, I was, I eventually just became sad because like I took this business so you far. You became sad. Yeah. <laughs> I took this business so far and it was doing really well. We still had a great reputation somehow. And now it's just like, I'm watching it slowly crumble. And I was like desperate. I was like, I will do anything, literally anything to save this business. And so, and thankfully we didn't even lose that many customers, if any, honestly, like my customer support guy was really keeping them calm and being like, we will fix this. I promise. Like we will fix this. Like, that guy seems great. He's great. <laughs> he is really great. Um, so then eventually I reached out to one of the old freelancers that worked into me during that hiring and firing 15 to 20 phase. He was another one that was really good. And I said, dude, like, I know you got a new job now and whatever, but like, I just need, like, if you could give me weekends, nights, I will take anything. I just need you to fix bugs. Like, don't even work, worry about anything else. I just need bugs fixed because I am literally desperate right now. And he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. Like, I got you on the weekends. So then on the weekends and at nights, he would just, like, fix bugs. And he would fix them fast, too. Like, he knew the code base from before. So he would just bang them out. And I was like, oh, damn, like, this kid is good. And I wanted to bring him, him on full time. But he had, like, a really high-paying job. <laughs> and he didn't want to. But then he told me, like, hey, I have a cousin. <laughs> He told me, I have a cousin who's like just as good as me. Like he can join and be full time. Like he's looking for a full time job. I talked to the cousin, gave him an offer, and that was my first full time U.S. hire that's still with us today. And wow. he's helped us hire every engineer since. Every engineer since had to get vetted by him, so I know they're actually good. We have an engineering team of four or five now. Look at that. And we have like an actual tech lead that we poached from one of our biggest competitors, and things are smooth. Wow. wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that gives me hope. For our, our, we do a lot of that hiring and firing sometimes. Yeah. And it's just tough. You just got to power through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so accurate, though. It's just like, we're just sad sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like, sometimes like, just you just feel helpless. You're just like, like, I'm, like I can <laughs> see from the corner of my eyes his desk, and he'll just, like, put his head down. And I'm just like, <laughs> I feel bad for you, man. <laughs> like, oh I'm just sad. God. Oh, Damn. wow. That is an incredible, <laughs> incredible story. So. And how long has how, so you've been working on Social Snowball for? I guess like years? four four and a half, yeah. Four but half. like when we started building to now, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And you now operate fully remotely. We're all remote. Yeah. All remote. Yeah. Cool. Hey guys, we're gonna take a quick break from the episode to analyze some of our top performing ads in our ad account. A lot of people have been asking me, "What have you been running? Statics, videos?" Well, I'm gonna show you our top performing ads utilizing a platform called motion which pretty much analyzes all the data of all of our top performing creatives roas by spend by ctr cpcs everything so check it out what's going on guys today we are reviewing another ad that was a top performer over the last 90 days so uh, let's get right into it this one's really interesting um, if you are not whitelisting or utilizing any whitelisted ads in your ad account uh, you're definitely missing out here and if you don't know what whitelisting is, essentially you are running an ad behind a creator's page or an influencer's page, uh, some other page that is not directly from the brand, right? And so some of the, the reasons you'd want to do this is because um, on the feed or you know on Instagram feed, it looks a lot more native coming from um, what seems like a, a user or a profile uh, outside of just running the ad from your brand, right? So... This ad is very, very simple. We took a picture of the product and we overlaid some text. Um, and if you notice, we are utilizing the Instagram font and text here so that it looks even more organic, especially when this shows up on um, Instagram uh, stories uh, placement. Uh, it pretty much looks like somebody posted a story about this product, right? So that's one thing. Then we set up the profile and we ran this ad through another profile. So again, when you're scrolling through the feed and you're, and you're scrolling through stories or whatever it is, 
this looks like it came from an actual person uh, that's talking about the product. So it doesn't come across as too salesy. Other than that, um, we pretty much utilize the Ozempic trend as one of the angles for, for this product. Uh, a lot of people are using Ozempic for, for weight loss. We saw a lot of comments on our ads asking, you know, is this as effective as Ozempic or I'm, I'm keen on trying Ozempic, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's where we kind of got this angle and we said, listen, let's, let's, let's tap into this trend. Uh, people are talking about Ozempic for weight loss. We are a collagen based weight loss product. Uh, so let's come up with a caption that addresses the Ozempic, uh, elephant in the room and pretty much say, this is a better alternative to that product. And so this quickly became, uh, one of our top performers in terms of a whitelisted ad. Um, again, very simple to create goes based on uh, attacking trends, which is, you know, something that people should be doing and um, utilizing whitelisting. So if you're not utilizing whitelisting, um, especially if you're a founder or a brand owner, what you could do is start doing some, some founder uh, made creatives, whether that's you as a founder holding the product and kind of talking about your story in the, the ad copy, or maybe doing a founder story. Uh, but that would be the quickest way to get whitelisting up off the ground. Um, and the second part to that would be like, once you start, you know, working with influencers or creators, uh, start utilizing their creatives and running them through their handles on, on Facebook and Instagram. So this one is easily something that you can add to your ad account. Uh, so test it out. Let me know how it goes. If you're looking to sign up for motion, click the link in the description for a special offer today. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to talk, um, talk a little bit future, uh, social snowball. I think with the rise of like TikTok shop. Yeah. And like just just the hype around that, right? Like even if you look at like DC Twitter, it's like creators are like, oh, like brands should be putting their 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 products on shop. Like any video that gets put out there, TikTok's juicing it, like yeah. get your commission, you know, this and that. So it's more or less the same realm, right? So like how do you um like I, I guess for me it's like how do as a brand I wanna focus on both, right? But it's like how do you focus on both? Like you want to build it for the website, but then it's like, well, I, I need to set up the affiliate program on TikTok, you know? Yeah. Well, like, how do you do it? It's tough. I mean, it's so new. Like nobody really knows yet. And I think it's also the data is so skewed right now because uh, TikTok's been discounting everything so like dramatically that like we it's don't true. really know how it's going to actually convert. Yeah. And like, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, but the one thing that's difficult for me to wrap my head around shop is it's very similar to like Amazon and other third party sales channels where you don't own any of the data. Mm. So like a customer purchases and you just don't get their email. Like when they stop discounting, unless you are a you know, profitable on first purchase brand, um, you know, through through that channel, then it's entirely useless. Mm -hmm. And even if you are profitable on first channel, uh, first order, it's st you're still not getting any of the, the data for retention. I don't know. Like, it, I think right now brands should definitely be pumping it because it's like working really well. Like, and this is like the golden age of it. Like, right. especially while TikTok's discounting anything, why would you not go right. after that? Um, but I think long term again, long term again, like the reason that I love and I preach affiliate marketing is it's like everyone talks about owned audiences for like retention, like your email list. Affiliate marketing is an owned customer acquisition channel. And that is rare and special. Like yeah. it is not an acquisition channel that one day the CPMs are going to spike. It's right. not an acquisition channel where you even pay based on CPMs or clicks. It's not an acquisition acquisition channel that can just shut off one day or the algorithm glitches or anything like that. It is an owned customer acquisition channel. And Again, like every brand is so focused on their owned audience channels for retention, but acquisition can and should be, you know, at least for a part of your marketing be viewed in the same light. So I think that's like another reason that like true affiliate, like, you know, what we help brands do with social snowball is so valuable. Right. So I think the the biggest like USPs for, for snowball has always been, you know, easy setup, easy signups for affiliates, commission payouts, performance on both sides, brand and creators, and then the safe links, right? Yeah. Uh, discount codes not being able to be shared to like the coupon sites and affiliate fraud and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I know you, you kind of tease something about social snowball 2.0. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about sure. it? Um, what does that, what does that look like? Sure. So I'll just start by talking a little bit more about like the the bigger picture for social snowball the vision um you know i think everyone is kind of a lot of SaaS companies and like the brands are very aligned with this is like consolidating your tech stack right that's yeah. kind of what everyone's doing so with social snowball like i genuinely believe we have the best affiliate and referral product on the market but you know under the umbrella of partnership marketing for e-commerce there's so many other pieces to that puzzle yeah. right you need to find creators you yeah. need to collect like ugc you process, need to maybe yeah. track their posts <laughs> there's so many different pieces so with 2.0 
Um, well, one, we have a totally reimagined dashboard and interface, which is just so many levels nicer. Like, I can't believe we got a, this dashboard that we're using now, by the way, is the same one that the agency designed <laughs> Wow! like four years ago. Four years ago. Oh, yeah. Actually, we released the new dashboard today. So that's, that's, that's a big piece of it. Um, we'll pop it up here. Is that what caused the Shopify? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the funny thing is my team was like, oh my God, we broke all of Shopify. And I was like, guys, it's not possible. Um, if you're watching this later, it was what? November, what's the date? 13th. The 13th when yeah. Shopify went down. Social yeah. so we, This just happened. Yeah. So we were all like panicking right before filming. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's one part of it. Um, the second part is the next piece of us kind of branching into the other pieces of partnership marketing for e-commerce. Mm. So this tool is going to be focused around discovering influencers, mm. um, but not just discovering influencers. Like, you know, there's a million tools that will give you a database and you could search based on keywords or this. We're kind of taking things a step further and we're helping brands build their best campaign types from Facebook into influencers. What I mean by that is, you know, you open your ad account right now, what has the best results? Probably like your retargeting campaigns and your look like campaigns. Influencers, even as a performance channel, has still been kind of a spray and pray approach. You just kind of search for influencers, search for influencers through keywords or through hashtags. Yeah. You just gift to everybody. And then like you hope like, you know, a few of them Something like post is, and yeah. convert. Yeah. Like we're building a tool that's gonna allow you to find influencers based on their audience and specifically their audience overlapping with other things like maybe another influencer that performed really well or maybe your customer list or email list etc um what you could do with that with that data of those influences that you're going to be able to discover through this tool is maybe this influencer has a very very big overlap with my abandoned checkout list for example um, i'm going to retarget i'm going to run retargeting campaigns through these influencers and you're able to kind of have a little bit more intention with the influencers that you're discovering and partnering with mm -hmm. instead of it just being like completely random uh, i mean you know another big vision for social snowball is to really help influencer affiliate and the like be a actual meaningful and it already is but more so an actual meaningful acquisition channel for brands mm -hmm. and you know there's a reason that facebook is win so hard and there's a reason that brands rely so heavily on facebook it's not just because they choose to i think no brand chooses to Facebook has a lot of amazing tools that let you find your customers. Like that's very right. powerful. Right. So, you know, with Social Snowball, we want to help brands find those same customers um, with as much intention as you could find them through Facebook, through different audience building. Right. So that's kind of what's going to be unique about this discovery tool that's coming soon. Sounds amazing. It's incredible. And it also makes sense, right? It's like what you kind of just hit on is like we, <clears throat> we find levels and layers to all the other forms of media and traffic sources. Um, yet like with influencers, it's always like, all right, let's just, yeah, let's just, let's just let's like just close your eyes hope. and drive forward. Let's send yeah. out these hundred packages and maybe 25 yeah. of them will post. Um, so it makes, makes a lot of sense. That's the incredible. one thing, the one thing you said was like matching up maybe abandoned cart lists with, you know, an overlap of a certain influencers audience. What, like that to me is like a new concept. How do you, how would you go about like setting something like that up? Yeah, well, I mean that 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 feature in particular might be a little bit further down the road, but it is it is what we're you know building with this. You know, we're we're what's unique is like we're really helping brands find influencers based on their audience, and like you could you could look for overlap with other audiences. Yeah. So like, you might want to partner like instead of just partnering with you know a hundred random influencers because you know they all like posted with a hashtag, you could partner with a hundred influencers because you know with concrete data that your customers, let's say, or abandoned carts, whatever, are following these yeah. 100 influencers. So if your customers are already following them, there's a very good chance the other people that are following them will be your customers. Got it. Um, so and that's like a lookalike audience. Yeah. You know, what is a lookalike audience? It's similar characteristics. Like we kind of, you know, bridging the gap and, and for the first time, are, we're able to build these types of campaigns through mm -hmm. influencers' audiences instead of just paid ads, you know, like Facebook's audiences. Honestly, I feel like that would like, that would just instill a confidence within me to go back to that creator and be like listen i'm actually down to pay you to post yeah as well right because it's like a lot of these big creators are like oh like i don't do commission i don't do affiliate. your confidence level goes up yeah yeah because right. it's it's concrete data it's not like oh i, yeah. I really believe in this one because my yeah. gut it's yeah. like because their engagement is <laughs> yeah yeah the last post looks good yeah. yeah right it's like with facebook you wouldn't do that right yeah. like with yeah. the facebook ad would be like okay i'm gonna you know these a thousand people all like 
it's just you know it's a diff- it's just a different mindset and no, like we're kind of trying to bridge the gap of the mindset like the way that you approach paid works for a reason yeah. let's let's see how we can apply that with technology to influencer no, that's great i'm excited for that that's awesome maybe we'll do a quick rapid fire questions and then show on a few choose yeah sweet um all right i'm just gonna ask you all right <laughs> rattle it off ready favorite book Oof. You know what's so funny? When you were like, oh, I'm going to ask you rapid fire questions. I was like, think favorite book, think favorite book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the first one that jumped into my mind is Emotional Intelligence, which I read a really long time ago. I just, I, I just learned a lot from that book. It was very, very cool um, to learn just more about myself and how people work. Um, a book I read more recently for the SaaS people who may or may not be listening to this is called... Um, uh, from impossible to inevitable, which just really explains the basics of building a SaaS. Because again, like as you guys have learned in this conversation, I really don't know what I'm doing. So like <laughs> that has helped me a lot as well. I love that. We'll, uh, we'll have to call those books out here. Favorite food? Sushi. Music? Um, Deep House. Deep House. Yeah, especially when I'm working. Wow. Oh yeah. my God, it just locks me in. Locks me in super hard. I love it. Yeah, huge productivity hack. Favorite brand? Yeah. Abi. Oh, come on. Obviously. It's I the obvious it. choice. I love it. <laughs> Second favorite brand. <laughs> Coffee over cardio. Yeah. This guy's good. This guy's, this guy's, this guy's good. good. You want to ask me my third? <laughs> He's going to say Paul Rangers. Yeah. I just know it. Um, sweet. So, you want to cue him up on the chews? Yeah. So, at the end of every episode, um, we ask for one chew, you know, something that the audience can kind of take back and implement in their business. Uh, today. So if there's one thing you want to share, what would it be? Oof, really good question. Um, I mean, this is something we already talked about, but I really just think it's such a low hanging fruit that everyone should really do it is turn your customers into affiliates. And I don't mean put them in a refer a friend program. That's like a loyalty program with points or coupons, a real affiliate program. Um, like the, the ROI on that and like even the actual impact from like a percentage of GMV standpoint is significant when executed correctly. So I think that's just such an easy one. Almost said it and forget it. Every brand should absolutely execute it. Damn, chew on that. Chew on that. <laughs> if you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.